0: I want to go into the Word again tonight, um, but I need your help with this. I, 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 think, I think Jesus loves you so much just simply because sitting in this, the chair in my room this afternoon going, oh my God, can you see this? I've never seen this before. And then this, and what, how am I going to say that? And it just got so full in me, and I'm thinking this is all for these people. This is because God loves these people. And so I need your help tonight because here's the problem. The good news is I know where to start tonight. I, I'm confident with that. And and I know, I, I think I know where we're going to end. It's all the bits in the middle <laughs> that, that I'm like, Lord, what's up with the middle part? But, um... Sometimes the middle is the best part, right? You know, Oreos and whatnot. (laughs) So I need your help tonight. Just seeking the Lord uh, with me on this. I I believe we're going to say some things and the Lord wants to shine some light on some things that would be life changing for us. I mean, every time the word is open, there's the potential for that. Amen. So I want you to go back to Galatians chapter six, where we began. And Mary, if you don't mind, put up Proverbs chapter 20 again, verse 12 in the New Living Translation. You look up Galatians six and then I want to look at this scripture also on the screen here. Began a couple of nights ago, looking at some of these things. Notice again what it says right here behind me on this screen. Proverbs chapter 20 ears to hear. Everybody say ears to hear hear. and eyes to see. Say "Eyes eyes to see. What are they? They are both what gifts from the Lord. Ears that hear and eyes that see are both gifts from the Lord. This is really important for every single one of us as believers to know, but especially important for us as ministers to know that if you ever, ever get something good out of the word of God, you didn't come up with it. You didn't give it to yourself. You didn't think that up. Well, where'd it come from? It's a gift. It was a gift and it was not payment God wasn't paying you something by giving you eyes to see and ears to hear. What is that? That's revelation, man. That's the light coming on. Come on. I said, that's the light coming on in your life. How many times have you read a scripture and then read it again like you'd never read it before? Well, What happened? Light came on. Light came on. I couldn't turn it on for you. Nobody else can turn it on for you. That is the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's to guide you into that light. You may have heard me say this before, but you know, if this room is dark and you come in here looking for something, you come in here, you're looking for this piano right here. Okay, but it's dark in here and you cannot see a thing in front of you and you're kind of fumbling around in here, reaching out in front of you, taking slow steps. You don't want to trip. You don't want to fall. It's a hard floor. But then somebody comes in behind you and flips on the light and you see this sitting here. Nobody looks and says, wow, look what the light put here. Right? What do you say? This was here all along. The light just showed you what was already there. Well, all of this, friends, Romans, countrymen, all of this (laughs) has been in here all along this been in here a long, long, long time. Yeah. But you and I both know that when that light, that, that switch gets flipped and that light of revelation and you see it like you've never seen it and you hear it like you've never heard it and it does something in you and it changes you. And it's not like the light put it there. It's like the light just showed you what was in you all along. What is that That's revelation? And it is a gift. It's a gift. And when I see the word gift, you know what I think right away? Grace. Grace. That's what the grace of God is. It's a gift. Come on. Somebody say gift. He is giving us a gift. So if we see something tonight in the word, if we hear something tonight from the word and the ministry of the spirit in us, then you know right away, you didn't come up with it. I sure didn't come up with it. He did a long time ago and tonight he gave it to you gave you a gift. Galatians chapter six, you find that yet? Galatians chapter six, look at it. We, we read verse 10 starting a couple of nights ago. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, one of the greatest gifts God has ever given any human being is opportunity. Salvation itself comes not as something that's forced upon anybody. Is it? It just comes as an opportunity. When a man or a woman stands on a platform in a congregation the world over and tells the crowd there, great or small, two people or two hundred thousand, and they stand up there and say, this is what Jesus has done. And they say, I wonder, do you know him? And they make an invitation. What are they doing? They are creating an opportunity. They're creating an opportunity for somebody to hear it, yeah. right? Yeah. What is this? This is a gift yeah. to hear it and to see it, but not with these eyes, with these. Yeah. Not, with the, not hearing with these ears, but the ears of your heart, the eyes of your heart. They're creating an opportunity and they are telling everybody there about the gift, the gift of the Lord Jesus. And it's an opportunity. Now there will be people that come and respond to it and leave change and have an eternal destiny changed forever. And there will be those that hear it the same opportunity given to them and they reject the gift. But love forced on somebody isn't love, is it? It's not love if you have to force it on someone. That's why Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly." Well, if Jesus wants me to have this great life, why don't I have it? He just gave you the opportunity, right? The, the grace, the gift is there as the opportunity. Let me jump out way ahead of myself here. What response is he looking for? Faith, faith, the faith response. Faith accepts the gift. Faith says, thank you for the gift. Faith tears open the gift. Faith uses the gift, right? That's what faith will do. So the opportunity is given. This is how the the gift of God comes in in opportunity and He doesn't force it on anybody. Love forced on somebody is not love. If a guy really loves a girl, but she's not that into him, but he's persistent about this, right? This can go one of two directions. He can either woo her or freak her out. And if she still rejects and still rejects and still rejects, I mean, the longer it goes on, it can just get downright creepy, right? Because it starts with flowers and it starts with cards, and then it ends up with just crazy, weird, you know, (laughs) I bought you a pony. I don't want a pony. Get get out of my living room. Who lets you in here with a pony? Stop forcing this on me. Love forced on anybody's not love at all, right? Silly. Sorry. (laughs) So anyway, we're looking at this opportunity and I challenge you in your life to look for the God-given opportunities. Now that's the key, isn't it? God-given. Not to be led just by opportunity, but you find out if it's God-given. I've been meditating on this scripture in the last several days out of the book of Proverbs that talks about wisdom and all these places that wisdom will cry out. Have you ever noticed this before? Wisdom cries out lists a bunch of places. Proverbs nine, I believe it is, eight, nine. And one of the places it says wisdom will cry out is at the intersecting paths, the city streets, the intersection. I think it's the, the NET new, new English translation that says at the intersection of the paths, wisdom will cry out. What's an intersection? And why would wisdom be speaking there? Because at an intersection, you have a choice. Do I stay on the road I'm on or do I take another one? Because yeah. I got a choice right here in front of me. And I love it that that's where wisdom is parked. Yeah. That's where wisdom's hanging out to lead you and to guide you. As soon as you get to that choice, the spirit of wisdom is staying in there. And depending on what road you are on or have been on, wisdom may say, stick with it. Stay on it. Do not turn off this path. You stay right on it and you take th- you take this thing all the way to the end. But if you ain't been on the right road, wisdom is standing there at that intersection of opportunity. Come on, are you hearing this? That intersection of opportunity. And if you've not been on the road you need to be on, or the one that God's called you to be on, wisdom's going, hey, hey, simple. How long will you stay simple? Hey, stupid, <laughs> right? How long are you going to stay stupid? And he's saying, this way. Excuse me, she's saying, this way. Yeah. is it wisdom a she? I yes. think it is. Yes. I know wisdom's a she and she's crying out to us. She's crying out to us. So not to be led by opportunity, but to allow the wisdom of God and the Spirit of God to show us when it's God giving opportunity, opportunity to sow, opportunity to give, opportunity to speak, opportunity to love, finding out what opportunity is right in front of you. Anyway, going on too much here. Verse 10 again, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially to those, we've got an assignment as believers, as child of uh, chi- children of God, to do good to everybody we meet. But especially, he said, above all, chiefly to the household of faith. Come on, anybody, household of faith? Yeah. Any faithers in here tonight? Now, we talked about this, how you can read that a couple of different ways. And most people probably hear it and think the household, the family of God. We're all children of God. And we are. And of course, it is reference to that. But you and I and many of the people watching online tonight, we hear that just a little different, don't we? I mean, like the household of faith the household of living and walking by faith. That's how we do things in this house. Amen? Come on, Devon, I'm looking at you, brother. You gonna run? You gonna run? No, don't do it. <laughs> Ushers. That's how we do things in this house. I feel like, and I told you this, I feel as though I literally was born into the household of faith, like the actual one. It's, it's got an address. It's here in Fort Worth. I feel like I was born into that house. And depending on what house you were born into, there are ways you do things in a family. There are ways you say things. There are are things family can say to one another that people outside that house probably wouldn't understand. And that's what it was like growing up in the household of faith. And you know that. I know every one of you in here have been in the, what, what many refer to as the word and faith. They call it movement. I don't like it. Because that implies there's an end to it. But I know so many of you, I know you're Rhema graduates, man. I know, I know you sat and you heard from Brother Kenneth Hagan. You guys, I mean, you were part of the, some of those last classes who were hearing from Brother Hagan. I mean, just teach faith, faith, faith. Open your Bibles to Mark 11:23 23 and 24, right? I mean, I grew up, obviously my grandfather, brother, Kenneth Copeland. Hello, partner. I'm Kenneth Copeland. <laughs> Mark 11:23 23 and 24 have faith in God. Yeah. What are we going to do about this? Papa? We're going to have faith yeah. in God. I don't feel good, mommy. What do I do? We're going to have yeah. faith in God. That's how we grew up. That's yeah. that is the household of faith. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Come on, living word people. You know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. This is how we do things. It's how we speak. It's how we walk. It's how we live. It's the household of faith. When people ask, what are your, what are your roots? Right? When they're talking naturally, they want to know like, where do you come from? Where, where's your family go back to? You know, are you, are you European? Do you have African roots? Do you have uh, Asian roots? Do you have Native American roots? They want to know when they ask roots, it's like, where do you come from? I'm going to say it to you like this tonight. What gave life to you? What gave life to you? And my roots and your roots, and again, so many watching out there tonight, our roots, absolutely we are rooted in Jesus. Absolutely we are in that vine, but you know as well as I do that there are, there are families within families. Aren't there? I mean, Sarah and I, we We've been married now eight years and we have our family. Justice, he's five, Jesse, she's two. But she and I are a part of a larger family. We've got my side of the family, my mom, my dad, my sister, her husband, their kids. Then there's her side of the family, mom, dad, brother, brother, wife, wife, right? (laughs) So the family, there's, there's a great big family, but then there's family within family. So I'm talking to the family within the family, the household of the faith family that faith family tree. These are our roots. And I can say it to you this way tonight. That's what gave life to me. And that's what's given life to you. Has it not? You've heard the word and it came alive. You heard somebody preach with authority. That's it right there. I mean, that's what, that's what shook the world and rocked the world five decades ago, six decades ago and has continued to since then. It's people preaching the word with authority and with confidence and with boldness that was early on mistaken for brashness and arrogance, but they didn't know any better. What do you mean? You're the righteousness of God in Christ. How dare you? We are worms. That's what we are worms. And then a couple of Texans, Get up and say, we are not worms. We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am what he called me to be. I can do what he called me to do. Bless God. (laughs) That's my Joey impression. (laughs) And people just didn't know what to do with it. But they preached the word with authority. That's what threw people about Jesus. Where does he get this authority? For the first time, somebody was preaching when Jesus preached. And it wasn't. It wasn't somebody saying, well, let me tell you about what so and so said about what so and so said about what so and so said. It wasn't commentary on some other human's opinion. It was my father in heaven. Definitive end of the line, period, story over. And it's like, where do you get this authority? That's the, that's our roots, man. That's our roots. That's where we came from. That's where we come from. We are branches on that tree. That's the family inside the family that we're a part of. (sighs) Help me, Lord. This this is where it gets slippery. Okay. (laughs) Psalm 68. Go there with me real quick. Psalm 68, verse 6. Mary, you got that one? Look, Look up here. It's right up here. Notice what it says. You've heard this before, God does what? He sets the solitary. What's a solitary? Someone who's alone, someone who has nobody. And what does he do? He takes the solitary and he sets them in a family. He sets them in a house. We talked the other night about how that word household, when you read about it there in Galatians, the household of faith, you look that up and you find, of course, it means what you think it does, a house, a family. But one of, the, one of the definitions of that word implies intimacy. Intimacy. The solitary lack above all, intimacy. And God is all about changing that. If you know anything about your Bible, and everybody in here does, you know that God is all about your roots and your family, that's what this is. It's a, it's a father and his family. It's not a religion. It's not, it's not a religion. It's not, it's not a recitation of doctrine and theology. It's a father in his family. He's big on family. He's so big on family. He's so big on it that one of the things he does is he takes people that have none, picks them up, and puts them in a family. You and I have been put in a family. Again, the family of God? Yes, that 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 overarching overreaching family of God, the global body of Christ. But we have been put in a family within that family, haven't we? How many of you would say God put you into into a place where you were feeding on the word? like you couldn't get it somewhere else. I know. I know I am. I know God put me in that. He put me in that family. But notice this. He sets the solitary in families and connected to this, he brings out those who are bound. Bound. Tied up. Restricted. uh, uh, An inability to to move, to reach, to do anything. And he takes those who are bound and what's he do? He brings them into what? Into what? Prosperity. 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 Okay, now catch this. You, being in the family that he put you in has everything to do with your prosperity, everything. Now, one of the things you're not going to have to do right now is just get it out of our head that prosperity equals money. That's a part of it. Don't get me wrong. It is. It is absolutely a part of it. But if that's all you can see when you think that word, then that's way short sighted and you're missing out on the fullness of it. Prosperity. Prosperity is let's stick with this roots and tree thing we got going on here. Prosperity is flourishing. Prosperity is fruit bearing. And that's the language Paul used when he wrote to his partners who had just sent him this huge gift. He said, I rejoiced that your care for me has flourished again. It's sprouted up. You look it up and it literally means it's sprouted. And I think this is funny, sprouted green. But he's talking about an offering. <laughs> It sprouted green. It flourished. Your, your, your care for me flourished. You know the rest of that verse? He said, not that you didn't care, but that you lacked what? Opportunity. Opportunity. So these people had a heart to give all along, but they lacked opportunity. What'd they lack? Well, you can't give if you don't have anything. So here's a new way of seeing money. When it comes into your hand, That's opportunity. Oh, he just gave me opportunity to give. He just put something in my life. I've got an opportunity. Who am I supposed to reach out and touch with this? Because when you take a generous heart and you add opportunity to it, you got somebody who can change the world. And that is not an exaggeration. God takes the solitary and he sets them in families, he brings out those who are bound, they're restricted, and he brings them into prosperity. And if you've got something, you can do something with it. If you're all bound up, you're tight. Oh, things are tight right now. Mm. I just don't know if now's a good time. Things are pretty tight. And if you've got a heart to give, then you hate it when it's tight. And you, there's this thing in you that's going, this is not God's will for yes. me there's this thing in you that says, my God is good. My God is faithful. My God desires to be, to, to bless me and enrich me. And things are too tight right now. And you get before the Lord and you say, father, I am a giver. And your word says you supplied seed to the sower. So if you will bring me out of this tightness and create opportunity for me to give, I will give this. That's where, that's where your prosperity starts. It's flourishing. It's fruit bearing. It's like we said the other night, You can't take a branch off a tree, break it, and try to stick it on another one. And I think this is happening. People get excited about a revelation or they get excited about something that's going on in this body, this part of the body over there, this part of the body of Christ over here. And and without realizing it, they're, they're disconnecting from what gave them life. Now, I'm not saying all you can ever listen to is a message on faith. I think that's, you know, I'm not saying yeah. that. Yeah. You understand that. But I will say that for you and I, let me speak to the ministers. There is a difference between, there's a difference between a student and a teacher. Right? Yeah. A student gets to go to a university, take this class. Take that class, learn about this, learn about this, major in that, minor in this, right? Extracurricular that, just take it all in, right? But a professor, a teacher, their job, their assignment, their calling, if you will, is to be proficient in one thing, isn't it? So for you and I as ministers, we have an assignment. And if we are of the household of this kind of faith, we got to be feeding on this stuff. We have got to be feeding on it and feeding on it and feeding on it and feeding on it. Now, when it comes to you and I just growing and and seeking the Lord in this area of our life, in this area of our life, man, God's been so good. He's put teachers in the body. You want to learn about grace. You want to learn about uh, family. You want to learn about prosperity. You want to learn about any, any number of these things, any of the goodness of God in manifestation in the earth right now, it's at your fingertips. You can go get it right now and grow in it. But I'm asking you, are you staying plugged in? to your root, to what gave life to you. And the temptation is to see somebody flourishing on another tree and think, man, I like that. That fruit looks good. Snap and try to take it over and stick it on the tree. (laughs) Didn't work. (laughs) Stick it on the tree, duct tape, stick it (laughs) on the tree. And it's not bearing anything. It's not bearing any fruit. Why? Because you're trying to set yourself in a family that God didn't set you in. Your prosperity and my prosperity, I'm telling you, it's in this house. It's in this house. I, he put you here, guys. He set you in this and gave you an assignment to, to live it and to teach it, preach it. Your prosperity's in it. Your prosperity is in it. OK. OK, Lord, now what? <laughs> what did it say? The rebellious will dwell in a dry land. What's well, something at Josh and Joey, uh, Josh and Lacey, Sarah and I,'ve who's worked with teenagers in here? Yeah, okay, that's nearly all of us at one time or another. Devon, yeah, we did it together, man. <laughs> Teenagers, you know a rebellious teenager when you see one. Uh, they're characterized by their desire to be separate. Aren't they? I want to be alone. Come on, get in here with us. Everybody's having fun. I want to be alone. Call them loners, right? Rebellious. Anything that everybody else is doing, I'm not into it. Why? Just because they are. Yeah. That's, that's a wrong heart. That's yeah. a wrong attitude. That's rebellious. Notice what happens. They dwell in a dry land producing nothing, no prosperity there. No prosperity there. Why on earth would you, you and I ever try to disconnect from what gave us life? Huh? Huh? Why would we try to do that? I mean, he set us in a family and you know what solitary feels like, don't you? I mean, I'm looking around this crowd and I know so many of your stories and so many of you guys moved to places where your family wasn't, right? Jordan, Melissa. I mean, you left a place and went somewhere. Did y'all know anybody in Oswego, Illinois? Not a soul. Did you know anybody up in the northeast in New Jersey or, no, where were you? Uh, I'm, yeah, what? what? New, Hampshire. In new Hampshire, one of the new ones, yeah. Seriously, I mean, you were like in the frozen tundra up there, man. You guys, did you know anybody in Powell when you left? I mean, so you know what the feeling of solitary is like. You know what that's like to feel alone. That's when you got to come back to this and realize, I'm not alone. He set me in a family. But you know as well as I do, family has quirks. Family has stuff. And there's a temptation to try to separate from it at times. And And you think, well, that was good for then. What's for now? Baby, it's the same Jesus for every generation. And the same Jesus that rocked the world 40, 50 years ago and 100 years before that and 2,000 years before that is what's going to do, what's, what's do it now. Yeah, that's right. yeah. It's going to be you and I clinging to what gave us life. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Yeah, good so let me say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Where you want to go, Lord? You name it. Uh, put up Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 for me. Colossians 2, verse 6 read a couple of verses here as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him next verse verse 7 rooted he said rooted and built up in him and established in what faith. in what faith. established in the faith now you're going to read that and think established in christianity and of course of course we're established in our relationship with Jesus. But this word faith here in Colossians is the exact word in Hebrews 11. Now faith is yeah. what's that brother Hagan? Now faith is <laughs> what's that brother Copeland? Now faith is right. That's the same faith, that dependence on God, that bold, brash, unwavering, uncompromising dependence upon the Word of God to do what the Word said it would do to heal your body and to, right? To raise you up. That's the same faith. And to get established in that, get rooted in that, get built up in that as you have been taught. As we've been taught as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving, getting rooted in that faith. Now go to Ephesians chapter three. I want to show you what a big deal this is to God when he starts talking about roots. Roots, where you come from, what gives you life, what gave life to you. Here he's talking about being rooted in your faith. In Ephesians chapter 3, is everybody hanging with me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I wish I had more stories or something. I people <laughs> like stories, but yeah. Ephesians yeah. chapter 3. <laughs> Let's just start at, uh, we'll start at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom, oh, here we go. Oh, thank you, Lord. I didn't see this till right now. From whom the whole family from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How? How? Dwell, make his home, abide, stay, be planted. That Christ would dwell in your hearts through your faith, faith in him. That's something you and I have to do, faith people, is every time we see faith, either mark it in your Bible or make a note of it in your own thinking, that every time you see the word faith in Scripture, add in Him after it. Because that's what it is. Faith is nothing if it's not in Him. It's nothing if it's not in Him. Faith in Jesus. He dwells in your hearts because you put faith in Him that you being what? What? Rooted. Rooted. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Being rooted in this. That love would be the thing that gave life to you. That love would be what nourishes you up, that builds you up, that establishes you and edifies you. That you'd be rooted in this. Man, I get, you get this picture of being rooted that no matter what winds come, that blow you this way and you move a little bit because you're rooted though, you stay where you're at. Yeah. And they push you this way, but you're rooted. If you're rooted in love, then let the persecution come. If you're rooted, not, not necessarily just in me and my love for you. And that's so much what we hear, I think, sometimes when we hear about the love of God. It's about you walking in love. You need to walk in love. You need to walk in love. Walk in love, I said. Walk in love. And you get home from that sermon, you're thinking, man, he's right. I gotta walk in love. Walk in love. Walk in love, come on. Come on, walk in love, Dad. Gummit. Walk, walk in love. You're gonna walk in love today. You're gonna walk in love all day, all day, all day. You're about to be the biggest jerk you have ever been in your entire life. Why? Because you are requiring something from yourself, of yourself but it's not about you making a demand on you. It's about you knowing how much you are loved, filling up with that and then overflowing with it, being rooted in it, rooted and grounded in how much he loves you and that you'd be able, verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints. Comprehend, have a working understanding of it. I drive a car, but I have no comprehension of how it works. I don't know what happens when I put that key in and I turn it. I'm just not one of those guys. Maybe some of you are. Congratulations. Maybe you're like Nate Schlegel over here. I call him an actual man. That's what I call <laughs> Nate. You, you can build stuff and it's amazing. It's just not me. He's got a comprehension of it though, right? Yeah understanding how it works and what makes it work. And if something's not working, why? That's what a comprehension will do. And he says, I want you to comprehend with all the saints, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ. My God, what would happen if all the saints knew how much they were loved? Can I tell you what would happen? Faith. Faith would happen. Because faith works by love. Or I'll say it like this. Faith works when you know how much you're loved. That's when faith works. A couple of nights ago, we talked about the disciples coming and waking up Jesus in the boat when the storm hit them. And they said, teacher, don't you care? You don't care that we're perishing? And he got up and said to him, where's your faith? How is it you, you have no faith? How is this possible that you, after the word you've heard, after the miracles you've seen, how is this possible that you, of all these people, have no faith? Well, it's possible and it's revealed to us when they say, you don't care. Where there's no revelation of love, there's no operation of faith. Where there's no revelation of love, there is no operation of faith. And you can be trying to work your faith and you're making your confessions and you're reading your scriptures. But if it's not rooted, if it's not rooted in how much you're loved, it's not going to produce anything. That's like an old dead stick laying out on the ground trying to grow an orange. (laughs) This is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Why? No root. Nothing given life to it. Yeah. Rooted in love. Rooted in faith. Established in these things. Man, what, what, is, what is love? What is a, the love that we're supposed to be rooted in? Man, I was asking myself this today. Was making some notes. And I got to tell you, the first thing that hit me, I was like, what is love? And we're going to do a test. According to DC Talk.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> love is a what? <laughs> love is a verb, baby. <laughs> DC Talk, free at last, circa 1992. Come on, right there. That's right. That's right. Pulling out my big black book. Right? Right? When I need a word to find, that's where I look. Come on, you know this, don't you? So I move to the L's quick, fast, in a hurry. Throw on my specs. I thought my vision was blurry. Right. Looked again, but to my dismay, it was black and white with no room for gray. A big L, or no, big V stood beyond the word. And that's when it hit me. Love is a verb, right? <laughs> Thinking of a way to explain yo, cause you know when I'm flowing like a bottle of drainers. simple and plain L-O-V-E, L-O- <laughs> ain't all that junk that you see on TV. Put soaps on the rope cause it ain't worth hoping. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't no hoping. Love is enough is unconditionally given now you're living out the great commission. Come on. Tell me God bless you, Mac. That is, thank you, DC Talk. God, that was the first CD I ever had. I was thinking about the love of God. Lo- what, is, what is love and, and how, do we, how do we define it? And I, I, this comes to me over and over. I, you know, I think I love my wife, I love this woman. And because of that, I I don't do things on my own. I don't do things in and of myself, regardless of the way they affect her. But because I love her, my decisions, when I step to intersecting paths and I have to make a choice in which way I'm gonna take, I don't make a decision apart from how it affects her. I don't make a decision apart from how it affects our children. I don't, I don't decide anything apart from how it affects our ministry, our life. Why? I love her. Just simply put, I love her. Because I love her, I'm aware of her. Husbands, would you agree with this? Wives, you'd agree? I, I, I love her, you love each other, therefore you are aware of one another. You're aware when they're present. You're aware when they're not. And I don't mind telling you, I go a little Big Brother on her sometimes and I've got that Find My Phone app. You know, she's out shopping and I want to know where she is because I'll call her. She ain't going to answer. Yeah. All right, she's not going to answer because it's in the bottom of that purse. Buried. So what I do is I just get out that app and we're on, obviously on the same plan. So I put in my password there and I can see where Sarah is. Why do I do that? 'Cause I'm an overbearing husband and I've demented No, I just wanna know. I just I'm aware, I'm attentive, I'm I'm thinking, where's she at? Is she okay? Everything going all right. I'm aware of our children. You guys have kids, every single one of you except Joni Kirsten. You have <laughs> night's not over. You yeah. <laughs> have You're aware. You're aware. Of your children, you love them. You, there's, there's a constant mindfulness of them, right? That's what love is. That's what love is. It's, it's this realization that I'm not my own anymore. And I hope I could stand here and say that that woman has faith in me. Where would that faith come from? Where would, where would she have, why would she have reason to have faith in me? because she knows what i love her i have faith in her because i know she loves me i know she's aware of me i know she makes decisions not not blindly of how they would affect me but but we don't do things apart from each other i mean we talk about what we do we talk about what we spend and we talk about all these things together and that's love that's love in operation I want you to put up 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. And with what I just said in mind, let's read this. For the love of money, the love of money. You all look at me like, where are we headed here? (laughs) I'm not totally sure. Just hang on. We'll we'll get there together. The love of money. You've heard it before, right? Is the root of all evil. Not money. The love of it. It's the what? It's the love of it that is the root. It's the root of all evil. Now, there's people that read this and think, yeah, you... Rich guy, that, you need to read that right there. <laughs> but think about everything I just told you and everything you already know about love and what it means. And now ask yourself, I wonder if I've kind of slid over into this at all. Love, my love for my wife, my constant awareness of her, my attentiveness to her. My love for God, my awareness of His presence in my life, my attentiveness to His voice. His love for me, His awareness of me, okay? The love of money. What's that? Constant awareness of money. Constant attention on money. Love, I'll tell it to you exactly how I put it in my notes today. Love equals Service. Love equals serving. I love this woman, I serve her. I love God, I serve him. He loves me, he served me. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve, and he loves me and he serves me. The love of money is to serve it. Watch, you're sitting in service or Most of you are the preachers in the service, but you'll follow. You're sitting in service, you get direction from the Lord, or maybe you're, you are the pastor and he tells you what to do in the church. I want you to build this. I want you to do this, or I want you to sow here. Here's an opportunity for you to sow. And man, it comes alive on the inside of you. And you know it. You know that that's the leading of the Lord. You know that's the direction you've been waiting on and you get excited about it and you think, God, that is awesome. Give me one second and you look at your money. You say, okay, uh, money, here's the deal. God wants us to to sow. Um, God God wants us to to launch out and put everything we've got. So I'd have to take all of you, sorry, I have to take all of you and put it in this other kingdom thing over here. And I just wanted to check with you and make sure this this would be a good time. No, not a good time. (laughs) Money starts talking to you. Anybody ever have money talking oh, yeah, to you? Oh, yeah, money starts talking. Wow. You don't want to run out of me. That's a good opportunity, but let's use some wisdom. Because you don't want to run out of me. It, you don't even re- really want to get low. Don't you like looking at me and seeing how much there is? Doesn't that just make you feel good and safe and secure? I mean, what if it rains, you know? And what if it rains hard and you, you need a little extra of me? And you listen to that long enough and you, you say, yes, yes, you, you're right. I'm so sorry. God, here's the deal. That's awesome. That sounds great. Will you bring that up again in six to eight weeks? Because I just feel sure that that's going to be a better time. Oh boy. Wow. Come on. Preacher, preacher. Who are you serving? Come on. Come on. Come on. Who are you serving? Who do you love? What love are you rooted in? Because he already told you what he wants to do for you is pick you up, put you in a family, give you a root that will give you life, unbind you, and bring you into prosperity. Now, you're either going to put faith in that and allow his love for you to be your root or fear over of running out is going to be your root. And that's the root of all kinds of evil. Yeah, I was studying some of this today and the phone rang. And uh, I know better now. Anytime a phone ring, the phone rings and it's, there's no caller ID, you can just assume on my phone, telemarketing or something. And I, I recognize the number. I answer it, hello, hello. And it's timeshare people timeshare people, and they start talking, and, and I'm kind enough about it, I guess, I'm like, thanks guys, you know what, you've called, but um, that's okay, we're not interested right now, thank you, okay, bye, and I was standing in the kitchen when I said that, and our staff was in there, and everybody's getting ready for tonight, and, and Lauren, most of you guys know Lauren, she was there, and she looked at me, she goes, timeshare, I was like, yeah, how'd you know, she used to work for a timeshare company a long time ago, she didn't have to make those calls, but she knew, I mean, she just, she knew, she's like, yeah, you know what, that was the worst, she said, I quit the day they told me I had to lie to people. yeah. Like, you had to lie to people? She said, yeah. She said, they literally came over and sat down at my desk and said, okay, Lauren, now what you need to do is um, make up a few names. Make up a few people that you've, that you've sold timeshares to and, and make up a story about them so that when prospective clients come in, you can tell them, oh, I sold one to so-and-so and they love it and their family enjoys it and they come this many times. You know, she's, they want her to lie. They want her to lie. And everybody in that office knew that she was a Christian. She was very bold about it. She's like, I'm absolutely not going to do that. And the lady who told her to do it, she just told me this a few hours ago. She said, she looked at me and she said, well, even Jesus told parables. She left. She left. And I had just been reading this and that hit me. As evil as that lie is, you know what it was rooted in? The love of money. Yeah. It was the love of money that said, if I if I don't lie to these people, then I'm not gonna sell to them. And if I don't sell to them, I'm not gonna get my money. Yeah. See where that lie, that evil deception was rooted in? It's rooted in the love of money. How much more evil when you and I start trying to manipulate something out of somebody we you know people learn a few tactics about how to say a certain thing or how to i know none of you but seriously like a you know shed a little tear right turn it on a little bit it's called manipulation everybody but even men and women of god have slid over into it when they see it maybe it started genuine maybe maybe it started they just poured their heart out to somebody and they saw a response because God had moved on people to give to them. And they thought, wow, look what happened. And that became a thing. If I do that, I get this. And the problem with it, there's two big problems. Number one, the problem is it works. It really does. Manipulation works. But the problem with that is whatever you're able to manipulate out of that person, either by lying to them, or cheating them out of something or making them believe something about you that's kind of true, whatever you're able to get out of them, you're immediately limited to that. And right on the other side of it, you've just cut a hole in your own pocket. So whatever you got, now you're spending on whatever's breaking around you because you are out. You have, you have broken off the tree you're not letting the love of God or faith in God give any life to you whatsoever. You're dependent upon your ability to trick somebody, to manipulate somebody, to coerce somebody into doing something for you. And now all of a sudden, whatever you come in immediately, it goes out. How evil how evil it is for a so-called man of God to stand on a platform or a a woman of God to stand in front of people and put pressure on them, press and press and press. It's evil because there's no faith in it. There's no faith in it. The, The concept is, if I don't do this, how do I get my needs met? There's no faith in that. There is absolutely no faith in that. And the love of money, the service of it, the attentiveness to it, the constant awareness of it. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? If God gives you a vision, you get excited about it, but like tomorrow you realize this vision is going to cost a lot of money. and That's the thing with vision. It always creates a need. Vision from God will always create a need. That's why most people won't live with one. That's why people are perishing without one. Because they're afraid of the need that it creates. It'll always create a need. And this is where us faith people have to be watchful too, because we've got it in our heads that the goal we're headed towards is no more needs. That's not the goal. If there's no more needs, there's no more vision. But a vision from God will create a need, but not one for you to meet. Come on. on. Thank you. Come on, somebody. Come on. This isn't a need for you to meet. Jesus told his disciples. He said, you go into a town. There is a cult there that's been unridden and you tell them what? The Lord has need of this. Man, that helped me about three weeks ago when I saw that, looking around this place and what's yet to purchase and what we want to do. And I realized all of a sudden, this isn't my need. It's not even my need. The Lord has need of this. Jesus, you need it. I'll get in faith with you. Jesus, I'm in agreement with you, sir, that all your needs are met. You think he has any problem at all getting his needs met? The Lord has needed this. Oh, come on. The Lord has needed this. That vision he put in you. Don't be afraid of the need. Don't back off it because the need's so big. Don't start serving money. Thinking that if I don't hang on to this much of it, what are we going to do? You got to check yourself. What happens to you when you look at the bank account? If you see a big stack in there, are you like, Mm -hmm. how good does that make you feel? Because it probably shouldn't. That's not your comfort. Right on the other hand, if you look in there and there's not as much, how much sweat starts breaking out right here, huh? Folks, money has two main reasons, main purposes. Sowing and spending. That's what it's for. Sowing and spending. And everybody else, you know what they're trying to do with it? it? Save it. Save it. Save it. Say, we got to save it. We got to save it. We got to save it. That's their number one goal with money to do what? Save it. Save it. Now I'm not telling you there's anything wrong with saving, but saving is where you put money that you don't know what to do with yet. Now I don't know if that money right there is for spending or for sewing, but I'm going to find out. And I'm not going to do anything with it till I know.
1: I'm not serving it.
0: I'm not, I'm not doing what it tells me to do with it. I love him and he loves me. Father, I'm aware and attentive to your plan and your vision. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's a million dollars in this bank. Oh, you missed a good place to say amen. Yeah. Yeah. There's a million dollars in this account, Lord.
1: Amen.
0: What's it for? What's that for? And if he doesn't say anything, don't do anything. Hey, Lord, there's a million two in there now.
1: You guys are slow, come
0: on. <laughs> what's that for? Okay, yeah, I see that. Call up your buddy. Hey, what's the balance on that building? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, Lord, talk to me about that. I'm going to send you something. Just want to let you know he's coming between you and the pressure that's on you. What are you doing? Finding out what the assignment is. Lord, what, Lord we got about 800,000 left. What do we do with that? We're supposed to build? We're supposed to build? Okay. Well, that's going to cost $789,000. That stack's going to go real low. Where'd you get it in the first place? If you don't serve it, if you're not rooted in the love of it, you can get free. I don't care how much money you have. If you're serving it, you are bound. You're bound and it's the root of all kinds of evil. Mm. Oh, but come on, we can get free of this. We can get free of that and we can look at that account and we can say, baby, look, there's 75 cents in there today. All our money's out on assignment. It's, It's doing what he told it to do. Oh, we're doing it. We're doing it. We're really, really doing it. You know? And you can get excited about that. You can. This is faith, people. This is sorry, Josh, this is faith 101 right here. I trust God. I trust God. He loves me and He will not let me fail. Thank you, Lord. Can you take just like two or three more minutes. You're there in first Timothy. Go to second Timothy three. <clears throat> then we'll look at one other. And we'll be done. Second Timothy three, know this, that in the last days, come on, say that's the day. That's the day. In the last days, perilous times will come. That's what we're living in, isn't it? Yeah. It's perilous means just violent, yeah. violent times. And when he said last days, it's a reference to the last of the last days. That's the end, man. The last days, perilous times will come. Why? For men will be. You notice that? This is the reason you're about to read the reason that we're living in the times we're living in. (coughs) Because men will be what? Lovers of themselves, lovers of money. And really, that's one and the same thing, isn't it? I just told you a moment ago that my love for her makes me aware of more than just myself. You don't know how to love anybody else. You're aware of only you. You love yourself, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Verse three, unloving. I want you to notice how many things have to do with twisted, distorted love lovers of themselves, lovers of money, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Twisted, distorted, wrong, evil love is the reason we're living in the world we're living in right now. Aware of all the wrong things. Constantly aware of just themselves. And people don't realize it. People have gotten so blinded to this that they call it humility. To say, I don't need all that. I don't want all that. All I want is to be able to feed my family, put clothes on my kids' back, maybe take my wife to a dinner now and then, buy her a dress and a purse. But that's all I want. I don't need all that other stuff. And they think they impress God with the smallness of trust. Is he impressed? No, he's not impressed. Right on the other hand, he's honored when you request big. Why? Because it tells him you believe he can do it. But people think they're impressing God and other people. I just, I just want this right here. That's all I want. That's all we need. I'm not asking for a lot. I'm not asking for much. Yeah, and you're also not leaving an impact on anybody or on anything. That's the love of money. That's, the, that's loving yourself. When all you can think about is the love of your own pleasure. Nothing wrong with pleasure, nothing wrong with having fun, nothing wrong with getting away. But if that's all, that's, that's the extent of your life. Jesus told a parable about a man who did this. A man whose ground, he said, yielded plentifully. And he had a lot of stuff. And he looked and he said, he said to himself, he thought within himself, Jesus said. Did you catch that? He thought within himself. That's everybody's problem. They never learned to think without themselves. They learned only to think within themselves. He thought within himself. I've laid up many treasures for many days. And he said to his soul, soul, you have a lot of stuff. What are you going to do with all this? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and I will store. I'll store it. That's the big plan. I will store my crops and my goods. He says, that's his big plan. This wealthy man, tell us, sir, what are you going to do with all this vast wealth? Well, let's see. I, you know, I've thought about it, given a lot of thought and I've got a plan. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to store it all. And then he said this. He said, and I will say to my soul, eat, drink and be merry. Take your rest. He said, take your rest. You look that up and it means do nothing. Do nothing. Be perfectly still. That's his great goal. This is, this is what I'm going to do. What are you going to do with all this stuff? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat. Like seriously, a lot. And then I'm going to drink. And I'm not going to let anybody tell me what I can or can't eat, what I can and can't drink. I'm going to be merry and I'm going to do nothing. Mm -hmm. Guess what it's called, everybody? Retirement. And that's what everybody is working for. That's That's the great goal. And he said, I'm going to store it. What is that? I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. All my crops. What is crop? What's in the crop? More seed. Cre- seed's not for storing. Seed's for sowing. What good is a great big barn full of seed? Just sit there and look at Look at all my seed. Because I'm going to store my seed, my crops, and my goods. Look up the word goods and it means things that are useful. What is that? That's what you buy and you put to work. You put into the hands of somebody else who can use it. And his big plan is to save it. And Jesus said, you fool. This night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will this be? A lot of stuff, no impact. For lack of a better term, that scares me. I ain't about to live a life of no impact. I'm not about to go through this thing without making a mark on this world. And I'm going to do it rooted in love, walking by faith, sowing where he says go, or so, buying what he says buy, putting it into the ministry, putting it into the kingdom. If it's not something I can use, put it in Josh's hand. He can use it. Impact. Amen. Impact. Impact. <sighs> what did Joshua say? As for me and my house, my what? My house. My house. Our house. As for the household of faith, what are we going to do? We're serving the Lord. We're not serving money. Guys, we're not going to serve money. Are we? I'm not about to be money servant. I'm not about to be rooted and grounded in the love of money constantly aware of it, constantly attentive to it. I hate it when I'm that way. I've had to tell myself more than once, more than 10 times, Jeremy, get the money off your mind. It's not about the money. It's just not about the money. And you got to tell yourself that as many times as you have to. It's not about the money. It's about the plan. It's about the plan. And maybe you don't have enough to do all the plan right now. Do you have enough to start? Do you have enough to take a step? You're thinking, yeah, but that's all I got. No, it's not. You got a father. You're a part of a family. You're a part of a household of faith. Never look at what you have as though it's all you're ever gonna have. There's so much more where that came from. So much more. And never back off your vision, guys simply because of the need it creates. Don't be afraid of that need. You know who has no problem with this? I've found kids. Kids. Kids have no problem with this. Joey, Kirsten, you guys will learn this later. Um, kids have no problem with vision, do they? What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut and a fireman and a jet pilot and a veterinarian. I went to Justice preschool graduation uh, back in, what was it, May or something, and the teacher had interviewed all the kids and they all came up and she read what they had said they wanted to be. The stuff these kids want to be. Justice wanted to be a spaceship driver. <laughs> <laughs> a spaceship driver.
1: Was
0: night. A spaceship driver at night. A was it a preacher?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Poor kids already got a night job. It's oh. a pretty good one though, I guess. But some of these other kids coming across the stage, you know what they want to be? One kids, I'm going to be a ninja. Yeah. And the kids, I'm going to be a, I want to work with animals and veter- veterinarian. And I like the ninja one. <laughs> that was cool. Yeah. That's what Joey wants to be. I want to be a ninja. And you could tell this was a popular kid because a bunch of them after him. They, I want to be a ninja too. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but some of these kids, they want to be an astronaut. Totally unaware of the billions of dollars that it takes to go into space totally unaware of it. They have no problem with vision whatsoever. Why? Can I tell you why? I believe it's because from the day they were born for those first however many years, five, six, seven years, they were never responsible for meeting their own need. They have no reference for that. They have no reference for feeding themselves. They have no reference for clothing themselves or what it takes. Or the demand that it puts. There's no, no point of reference for that. Stuff just shows up. Yeah. Yeah. They don't even dress themselves. They stand there in the morning half asleep while you do it.
1: <laughs>
0: and for the first few years, you pick up the spoon and you put it in their mouths. They don't even have to. Lazy people, man. <laughs> well, it's just, it's just they're, they're unaware of meeting their own need problem comes later when quote unquote reality sets in and you gotta meet your own needs now and you need to be taught the value of a dollar. And you you need to you need to have some respect for money because it doesn't grow on trees. (laughs) We weren't supposed to be weaned off our parents onto ourselves. We were supposed to be weaned off our parents onto God. We were supposed to be weaned off them meeting our needs onto Him meeting our needs. We're confident in mom and dad meeting the need. Why? These people love me. Even before they knew how to put that word around it, they felt it. They they knew it in them. They knew it. These people love me. They tell it to me a thousand times a day. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. That's why there comes a day they quit crying for food. They just go to the table. When are you going to quit crying? When am I going to quit crying to be fed? Let's just go to the table. He loves us, y'all. He loves us, he loves us, he loves us, he loves us.